Well, it's preaching time. Amen. Take your Bibles, turn over to the book of Psalm chapter number 37. Psalm chapter 37. Uh, it goes without saying, but we've got some tremendous preachers in the service tonight. We could have called on any of them. They would have blessed our hearts from the Word of God, I guarantee you. Uh, but uh, as I was trying to get direction from the Lord, I'm never, I never look for uh, an opportunity not to preach. I just always want to mind the Lord. Uh, but uh, on, I think it was on Monday, God gave me this message, and I've been chewing on this thing all day yesterday and today, and uh, I'm looking forward to sharing with you what God has given me. And uh, yeah, so I'll read the text and I'll tell you what I'm preaching on. If you got your Bibles, are you there? Stand with me, please. Psalm 37 comes right after Psalm 36. Verse number 25, I have been young and now I'm old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He's ever merciful and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. Isaiah had no idea what I was preaching on tonight before he testified, but I'm preaching tonight on this thought, no regrets. No regrets. Lord, I pray that you'd help us tonight as we preach the word of God. May our hearts be stirred and challenged. And Lord, if there's anybody here tonight that's on the fence, I pray they'd get off the fence. I pray, Lord, tonight that they would just get all in, recognizing, Lord, that you cannot go wrong when you serve the Lord. Bless the message, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You can be seated. I must confess, I must confess, I've been a little bit nostalgic here lately. Um, I've got two daughters. One's getting married tomorrow, and the other one's moving halfway around the world in about a month. And um, I'm having a hard time, Brother Burner. Having a hard time. Uh, and what I can't understand is why God saw fit to leave the boys at the house. <laughs> I and Stuart and Spencer are setting up, they're setting up camp. He's out there this morning with their sledgehammers driving them tent pegs way on down in the dirt. And the girls are packing up and moving out. There's things in life I don't understand. I just don't understand. But I've been nostalgic. Sit at my computer today looking at Callie's baby pictures. Remember the day she was born on a uh, rainy, cold Sunday morning in Bloemfontein, South Africa. She was born in South Africa. I call her my little African-American. <laughs> and the Sasutu people, we had two churches, one in the township and one in the city. I was pastoring both of them at the same time. And uh, have you ever seen anybody juggle chainsaws? That's easier than what I was trying to do. But, but they, the Sasutu people called her Hanyani Pulani. Hanyani means little and Pulani means rain. And that was her Sasutu name was Hanyani Pulani. <laughs> and I was looking at those baby pictures of her and she was born and she went straight into the neonatal ICU. Look at all those pictures of her with all those tubes running in her nose and in her, in her mouth and all the stuff that she was hooked up to. And, and uh, she was born a little bit premature and had some complications. And, uh, but anyway, uh, God saw fit to spare her. And I was looking at all those pictures and, and uh, just been a little bit emotional. Every time I go through the house, she's walking out of the house with another carload of stuff. 
I didn't know she had 14 Suburbans full of stuff in that bedroom, but somehow or another she did. And, uh, but I want to say this tonight. I've spent a lot of hours of the last few weeks reflecting over my life and the choices that I made in my life. I thought about how my decisions and my choices played out over time. Looked at the ripple effect that my choices and my decisions had starting when I was just a boy and a young man. And my wife and the decisions that she made as a young, as a young teenager. And how that, that's affected and, and played into decisions and choices that are being made today by other people. And I've come to the simple yet profound conclusion. I have no regrets. I have no regrets. I'm grateful for that life that God has allowed me to live. I'm grateful for my wife and my children. I'm grateful that God has brought us to this place here in Baltimore, Maryland. I'm grateful for that. And we tease and we cut up. We joke about God having a sense of humor. I was looking at a video clip today, watching a video clip today. Callie riding a horse in our front yard, doing figure eights in our front yard. Did y'all hear what I said? She was riding a horse in the front yard. Y'all hadn't got that yet. We had a yard. That's what I'm trying to say. We had a yard. Had a yard. We joke about God moving us up here, but I can't think of another place I'd rather be. And I can honestly say tonight, I've got no regrets. I've got no regrets. I'm reading the verses here in our text tonight out of Psalm chapter 37, where David, I believe, as he's giving us some insight into verse 25 and verse number 26, I believe that what David's saying without coming right out and saying it is that he too had no regrets. As I begin to look at these verses, I made a list of four things tonight that I have no regrets concerning that I hope that will be a help to you. There may be somebody here tonight that maybe you'd be challenged and you'd be stirred or you'd be compelled to maybe make some of the same decisions and choices if you haven't done that already. In our text, it says, I've been young and now I'm old, yet have I not seen, what's the next word? The righteous Forsaken. Write this down. Number one, I have no regrets for the path that I have taken. The path that I have taken. Now let me say this. When I was four years old, I accepted Christ as my Savior. You've heard my testimony. I saved a little church, a Faith Baptist Church down in Tifton, Georgia. My uh, uncle was, uh, uh, Dewey Adamson was the pastor of the church at the time. And I don't remember who was preaching that fall revival. But I do remember sitting over here on this side of the sanctuary. And I remember... That as far as I can remember, that was the first time I'd ever heard a clear presentation of the gospel. I don't remember ever hearing it like that before. I definitely don't remember ever rejecting the gospel. Can I get a witness? But that night at the age of four, I left my pew and went and knelt down at the altar near where the organ was. And I don't even remember who prayed with me. I don't remember who preached. I don't remember who dealt with me. I don't remember who prayed with me. I don't remember what I said when I prayed. What I do know is that when I got down on my knees, I was lost. And when I got up, I was saved. And when I was four years old, I exchanged my righteousness for the righteousness of God. By the way, if you're saved here tonight, that's exactly what you did. You turn your righteousness in, which the Bible says all of our righteousnesses, 
That's, that's all of them together. That's every righteous, quote unquote, righteous thing you and I have ever committed in our whole life. All of them put together in one big pile in the sight of God is nothing but filthy rags. And I'm thankful for the imputed righteousness of God. And I'm thankful tonight that I can be numbered with the righteous, not because I'm a righteous man, but because of his righteousness. Amen. David said, he's talking here about the righteous. He said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. And I noticed how many times David referred just in this chapter, chapter 37, to the distinction between the righteous and the ungodly. Look at verse 16. A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. Verse number 17. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. Verse 21, the wicked borroweth and payeth not again, but the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. Verse 25, I have been young, now I'm old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Look at verse 29, the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. Look at verse 30, the mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom, and his tongue talketh of judgment. Look at verse 32. The wicked watcheth the righteous and seeketh to slay him. Look at verse 39. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. Just in this chapter, David referred to the righteous and the distinction between the righteous, the people of God, and the unsaved. And I want to say tonight, I have no regrets for choosing to take the path of the righteous. A lot of young people looking over the fence. A lot of young people trying to figure out what crowd they want to run with. You just heard the quartet sing, I'm glad I missed out on the heartaches of living my life in sin. I'm telling them they can be able to live their life without the scars and without all of the, the baggage that comes with making that decision to follow after the paths of Satan. But I'm grateful tonight I have no regrets for choosing the path of the righteous. I don't understand it. I wish I could. I've spent hours and hours analyzing what makes people tick, what makes certain young people seemingly have a heart for God and desire for God and others just seem to be hell-bent. I mean, it just seems like they can cannot wait to kick out of the traces, jump over the fence, and go live like a dog in the world. I wish I could understand it. I don't understand it. I do believe in the free will of man. I believe that everybody has a choice. I believe God wants everybody to be saved, but I also believe that some are more inclined to follow God than others. I wish I could explain it. I cannot. I've got a twin sister. Some of you knew that. Some of you didn't know that. I've got a twin sister tonight lives in Ocean City. And we're as different as night and day. I mean, polar opposites is an understatement. You can't get any more opposite in how we've lived our lives than me and my sister. And I would not tonight glorify the devil or brag on the devil by sharing with you the details of my dear sister, bless her heart, her life. But I'm telling you right now, it's been a mess. From the time I was a little boy, there was something in me that desired to be with God and God's people. And I remember my mama take me down to Olin Mills to get my picture made. And I won't always take my Bible, get my picture made, holding my Bible. I used to sleep with my Bible as a little boy. I'd put it under my pillow. I woke up in the morning reading my Bible, quoting scripture. I wanted to be with God and God's people. And I loved God. I had a heart for God. And I'm not regretting tonight the path that I chose starting out as a little bitty boy. I don't regret it, not a bit. 
I'm not perfect by no stretch of the imagination. Lord knows I've made a lot of mistakes. But I'm grateful that there was something inside of me as a little boy and as a young person when everybody else was just acting like idiots. Everybody else was playing in church. I was, I was crying and I was running around in verses in my Bible and I was going to the altar every service and I was just getting as close to the preacher as I could and, and I was seeking the face of God and learning how to pray and learning how to study my Bible as a little boy. What am I saying? I'm saying I don't regret I don't look back over my life and say, I wish I'd have spent more time playing. I wish I'd have spent more time doing this and doing that. I'm grateful for the path that I chose. And here I am, almost 50 years old, and I can stand in front of our young people tonight, and I can tell you I have no regrets over the path that I chose to take. David started this chapter out in verse number one with a strong admonition to not envy the evildoers. Look at it, chapter 37, verse one, fret not thyself, because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. It's almost reiterating what he said in chapter 1 of the book of Psalms. The ungodly are not so, but like the chaff which the wind driveth away. The righteous will be like a tree planted by the river of water. The ungodly won't last. They won't make it. And the point I'm trying to make tonight is so many young people, they can't take their eyes off the world. They're so enamored by what the world has and they're addicted uh, to the social media celebrities. They're addicted to the quote unquote influencers. And that's exactly what they are. They're influencers. They're influencing our Christian kids to forsake their Bible teaching, Bible training, the Word of God and God and everything He's done for them, turn their back on it and go to the world. They're influencing our young people. But can I tell you tonight that I'm grateful for the path that I chose to take, I do not regret it, not one single second. Amen. Young people, they want what the world wants. They want to look like the world, act like the world, talk like the world. They bought into the lies that somehow or another the evildoers have a better life and will come out on top and there's no way, and there's no way. The Bible says otherwise way too many times for that to ever happen. They do not have a better life. They have a miserable life. And they will never win. They may look like winners in this world. They may look like winners and celebrities. They may look successful on their social media profile and they know how to use the filters and make themselves look better. And they know how to prop up with all these fancy things and all this stuff that they got money. Looks like they got friends. But what you don't see is at night when they're laying in their bed crying their eyeballs out because they're so full of guilt and they're so full of the weight of sin. I have no regrets for choosing the life to take the path of righteousness and pursue the righteousness of God. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled. I have no regrets for the path that I have taken. Number two, he says in our text, I have been young and now I'm old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken. I have not seen the righteous forsaken. Forsaken. Write this down. Number two, I have no regrets for the presence that I have trusted because it's a reliable presence. I'm talking about the presence of God. He has never forsaken me, David said, and he never will. He's never forsaken the righteous. Never. The devil will tell you that if you choose to live the righteous life and God's going to hang you out to dry, he's going to leave you up the creek without a paddle. But can I tell you something? The Bible's clear that God will never forsake his own. Never forsake his own. And I'm grateful. 
I have no regrets for the presence that I have trusted. David knew what it was like to be forsaken. Boy, I was going back and reading some of David's life. And can I say this tonight? I have failed him many times. I have forsaken him many times. I have forsaken his word. I have, I have ignored his sweet Holy Spirit whispering in my ear and pricking my heart. And I know without fail I have disappointed him many times, but God has not once ever disappointed me. I've strayed from him. I've strayed from his presence. I've strayed from his word. I've disobeyed his, his, his word and his voice. And I've got myself in a mess and I've had to crawl back to him on my knees, repenting and getting right and confessing. God's never forsaken me. David said, I've been young and now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. David had seen a whole lot of forsaken in his day. I just made a short list. His brothers got angry with him. I'm not even talking about the fact that his daddy didn't even bring him into the house when the man of God showed up to anoint one of his son's king. You want to talk about being forsaken. They left him out there feeding the sheep while they was all in there anointing one of the sons to be king. Daddy didn't even go get him. His brothers got angry with him, falsely accused him of pride and naughtiness of heart when he went to kill Goliath. You know, ask questions about He had been the victim of jealousy and envy by the very king the Bible says that he loved, that he was his armor bearer and he played his heart to try to soothe him and try to minister to him and try to be a blessing to him. And twice the Bible tells us he had to avoid out of the presence of Saul because Saul was trying to pin him to the wall with a javelin. We're talking about knowing what it means to be forsaken. Had to say goodbye to his dearest friend Jonathan was never able to see his face again because of the strife between him and Saul. His wife, Michael, mocked him for worshiping God. And the Bible says she despised him in her heart. His own son, Absalom, stood in the gates of the city and stole the hearts of the people and tried to steal the throne. And David had to run for his life from his own son. And those are just a few of the examples that I could give you tonight. David knew what it was like for people that he was close to, that he had respect for, that he loved to turn their back on him and forsake him. But David said, God has never one time turned his back on his people. Not once have I ever seen God forsake his own. David in Psalm 27 verse 10 said, When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. There's some of us in here tonight, there's some of us in here tonight that knows what it's like for your mom and daddy not to be there when you need them. They know, you know what it's like for mom and daddy to turn their back on you. Some of you could raise your hand. We're not going to do that. Some of you could raise your hand and say, since I got saved, when I made Jesus the Lord of my life, my mom and daddy turned their back on me. I hear it all the time. David said, when my mother and my father forsake me, the Lord Amen. shall lift me up. It was David in Psalm 94, verse number 14 said, For the Lord will not cast off his people, neither will he forsake his inheritance. And I just want to say tonight, I've had a lot of people in my life that for one reason or another just walked away. I've had people that I loved and respected to just discard me, kick me to the curb like a piece of garbage. I've had some that promised to always be my friend and leave me high and dry for no reason. But there's one that I have learned that I can that lean on that will never let me down. There's one I can put my trust in that's never abandoned me. There's one that I look to in time of need that has never forsaken me. There have been times when I called on friends to come and help me and they wouldn't. 
I'll never forget, Brother Sasser, once when we were in South Africa as missionaries, I was going through a low spot spiritually. I mean, I was as dry. I tell people I was as dry as a brand new sponge. Preaching seven, eight, nine, ten times a week, week after week, month after month, and I wasn't getting any preaching, didn't have anybody to preach to me. And can I tell you something? Preachers need preaching. Amen. And I couldn't find anybody to come preach for me. We were on the backside of the desert, friend. I mean, we were in the middle of nowhere. And I remember calling an evangelist. My wife and I knew well. I mean, very well. We thought highly of him, and he thought highly of us. And I remember calling him one day, and I said, Preacher, I, said, I know you're an evangelist. I know you probably got a busy schedule, but I cannot begin to express to you how desperately our family and our church needs help right now. And if you will come over here and preach for me at our church for about three, four, five, six days, I'll pay for your airline tickets, and I'll pay for your accommodations, and I'll pay for your meals. I don't know that I'll be able to give you much of a love offering, but it won't cost you anything to come over here. I need to help. I wasn't talking in code. There wasn't Morse code. It wasn't smoke signals. I was saying very clearly, I need help, and I need you to come, and I need you to preach. And I, need, I need help. You know what he said? I'll pray about it. Never did call me back. Never did come. There was another missionary in South Africa that was only about four and a half hours away that we had known for years. I said, brother, would you do me a favor? Would you just kind of put everything on hold of there? I know you got a lot going on with your Bible Institute and your churches, but could you just come down here and preach a meeting for me? I need some preaching. I need some fellowship. I'm dry. I need, I need God to do something in my heart. He said, we're not going to be able to come. We got too much going on. And I can just tell you story after story after story of times when I said I need help. And people that I look to for help forsook me. By the way, that's nothing new. Paul said the same thing. Paul said at my first answer, no man stood with me. Watch this. But all men forsook me. But the next verse is what I love. Notwithstanding. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me. He said, everybody else turned their back on me. Nobody else wanted anything to do with me. Nobody else was there. I was getting busy signals. I was getting dead numbers. I was getting nothing. But when I got a hold of God, God was standing right there beside me the whole time. I'm grateful. I have no regrets for the presence of God that I've put trust in down through the years. There's been many times when he was the only one that carried me through. I'm where I'm at tonight because of God. I, some, of the, some of the best preachers in shoe leather have cut my legs off out from under me. I can sit up here all night and tell you stories, and all it do is make you mad. Preachers that should have helped me, Brother Bittner, preachers that should have shored me up, preachers that should have picked me up and put me on their shoulders and carried me through the hard times. They kicked me in the teeth when I was down. But God was always there. Always, always, always there. And by the way, some of you think, oh, if I could just, if, if I could, if I could just get away from church and get away from all these fuddy duddies, I could go out, I, I could go out and make some friends, real friends. I'm, 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 just, gonna, I'm just gonna give you just one clue, one clue. If those friends were real friends, there wouldn't be so many bail bondsmen down there next to the jail. For people to have to call when they get locked up. Because they call their friend, their friend's like, huh, I'm sorry, what'd you say? I can't hear you, you've got a bad signal. And they hang up. They won't be there. They won't be there. They won't be there. They'll get you hooked on that pot, they'll get you hooked on them drugs, and then when you get hooked on them, you gotta buy them yourself. 
They won't even drive you to the rehab. They won't even call 911 when you're passing out in the floor. Come on now. I want to go on record and not say I have no regrets for the presence that I've trusted. Hebrews 13, 5 said, for he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. What a blessing. He's been with me my whole life. He's been with me all over the world. He's with me tonight. I'm grateful for that. Number three, look at what he says. I've been young, now I'm old. I've not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. I have no regrets for the provision that I've tasted. David, you know what David said in verse number 25? He's fed us. <laughs> That's just a fancy way of saying he fed us. He's took care of us. You can look at me and see that God's fed me. Y'all didn't have to say amen right there quite as loud as some of y'all just did. When I got married, Brother Burner, I was 128 pounds soaking wet. <laughs> I was so skinny I had to put walnuts in my mouth just to shave. I did. I was so skinny that when I drunk out of a straw, I had to hold on to the chair to keep from getting sucked back down in the thing. And now here I am, not 128 pounds. <laughs> We've been through some spots. We've been through some dry spells. We got over to Africa and I just lost, I lost track of money. I just spend money like it's going out of style. Second week into the month, we're broke. Ask Miss Grace. I'd spend it all. I'd just pray and go put up a newspaper ad, $750 for a newspaper ad, full page ad in the paper. She never said a word. What I didn't know was that was the last $750 we got until we got our next, next paycheck. Never said a word. Somehow or another, somehow or another. I don't know how. I don't know how. There was always more month than, than there was money. Come on now. God took care of us. I could preach all night about the provision that I've tasted. David was testifying of several things in this verse, but one of them is unmistakable. He was testifying of the fact that God and God's people have the joy of being recipients of his bread. Not just the spiritual bread, but we could preach for about an hour on this bread right here. Man shall not live by bread alone, Matthew 4, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. This bread right here, amen. Job said, I've loved, I loved his word more than I did my necessary food. But God's fed us with both of them. Amen. Amen. By the way, make no mistake, the wicked eat bread too. It's just not as good as ours. <laughs> Devil feeds his children bread, but it's a different kind of bread. Proverbs 4, verse number 14 says, Enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of evil men. Verse 17, for they eat the bread of wickedness. And drink the wine of violence. The devil feeds his kids the bread of wickedness. It's got a bad aftertaste. Leaves you hollow. Leaves you hungry. Amen. That woman in, that woman in John 4, that Samaritan woman, she said, I've been coming down here every day. Jesus said, if you'll drink the water that I've got for you, you won't never thirst again. <laughs> he said, I'll put an artesian well. Spring it up on the inside. Amen. I'm grateful for the provision that I have tasted. And he, well, he talked about his bread. He talked about the bread in verse number 25. And he talked about mercy in verse number 26. He's ever merciful. His mercies are new every morning. 
Those children of Israel had fresh manna every morning, but they had fresh mercy too. <laughs> every day it was fresh. And I'm thankful for the provision. Can I tell you something tonight? Listen to me, young people. The devil's bread will leave you hungry. It'll leave you hungry. Amen. But God's bread is very, very, very filling. I'm going to give you one more point. Can you all handle one more point? I have no regrets, number four, for the posterity that I have trained. Twice in these verses, David mentioned his children. He called them seed. He was thinking about his children in verse number 25 and 26. I have been young and now I'm old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. The seed of the righteous. Verse number 26, he's ever merciful and lendeth and his seed is blessed. Make no mistake, young people, mamas and daddies, choosing to serve God is a generational decision. Our father-in-law is sitting here tonight, and he could do a whole lot better testifying, telling the story than I could about how God changed his family when he got saved. They had two kids when he got saved. Then after they got saved, they had three more. You heard them sing just a minute ago. Five youngins all together. God forevermore changed that family tree. I mean, change the family tree. Amen. I, I mean, only God could take an old drunk, a gambler. He said he'd get off of work on, he'd get up and go to work on Friday and wouldn't go to bed till Monday afternoon, Monday evening, be up all weekend. Wouldn't sleep a wink. Get off of work Friday, be up all night, Friday night, all day Saturday, Saturday night, Sunday, Sunday night, go to work Monday and then go to bed. Just burning the candle at both ends for the devil. Some of y'all did that. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. And then he got saved. And he got so saved that when he came home from church, his dog knew he'd gotten saved. He said, that dog, when he'd look at that dog, that dog, arr, 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 run off, hide behind the bushes. He said, that night he'd come home from church, save that dog, came up with his tail wagon, licked him on the hand. The dog knew there was something different about him. And he started living for God, started serving God, and God called him to preach, and he went to Bible college, lived by faith, and started trying to pursue that path of righteousness that I'm preaching about tonight. And I'm telling you right now, 50 years later, God's blessed him with family and sons and grandsons that are preaching and pastoring all over the country. I'm telling you right now, I have no regrets for teaching and training my young people, my kids, to live for God. Some of you mamas and daddies need to listen to what I'm saying. Some of y'all get too discouraged too easy. If we could get mamas and daddies as fired up about their kids' spirituality as they do their little league team. Stay with me now. I see mamas and daddies, they'll bend over backwards, drive their kids up and down the roads, get them to their ball practices and get them to this and get them to that so they can succeed in something that God's not the least bit interested in. I said God ain't the least bit interested in that mess. 
He ain't the least bit interested in it. I've seen more kids get out of church because mom and daddy drug them to some stupid ball game or some practice. They should have been in here with the young people singing in the choir, sitting under the preacher like I'm preaching right now. I'm going to tell you, if you want kids that'll turn out for God, kids that can overcome the world and the devil, you got to train them. And you got to train them nonstop. Nonstop. I said nonstop. Notice what God's word says about the seed of the wicked. In Psalm 37, verse number 28, the Bible says, For the Lord loveth the judgment. You're right there. And forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. Now, do you want seed that will never beg bread? Do you want seed that is blessed of God? Or do you want seed that's going to be cut off? Mamas and daddies, listen to me, mamas and daddies, the decisions and the choices that you make affect your children. You better believe they do. They affect your children. Well, they're old enough to make the decisions for themselves. You didn't let them do that about when it came to breakfast time. You didn't let them do that when it came to school time, homework time. You didn't let them do that when it came to bedtime, bath time, and supper time. Come on now. But when it comes to the most important aspects of their life, something far more important than them bathing or eating or brushing their teeth or making their bed or cleaning their room. I'm talking about their relationship with Almighty God that will affect their spiritual, eternal destiny. You go let them make that decision by their self. You can't do that. I hear it all the time. People say, oh, I wish my kids get married, live right and do right. I say, no, you don't. People walk up to me all the time. I'm sure they say it to Brother Angel all the time. I wish I could play the piano like that. I say, no, you don't. Because if you did, you'd spend as many hours practicing as we did. And he's 10 times better than I am. But I can play a little bit. And people used to walk up to me all the time. I wish I could play the piano like you. I said, no, you don't. That was back before I had any tact. I got a little bit of tact now. I just now just say, bless your heart, thank you. But I used to say, no, you don't. No, you don't wish you could play like I do. Because... Whenever other kids were out in the yard playing, I was sitting at the piano learning how to do chords and learning how to do octaves and learning how to do little licks. And I was practicing for hours and hours and hours at home. And I'd go to church early and I'd find a piano somewhere in the Sunday school room and I'd play and I'd play and I'd play till one day God let me play in church. But wasn't that, wasn't little Bree, wasn't that, was that Bree a while ago? Was that, was that Cheyenne or was that Bree? Bree, was that you? I couldn't see you. You were completely hidden behind that piano. That was amazing. And then we stood up for Brother David when he came up on the platform, just picking on him, and everybody started laughing. And I thought, I bet she thinks we're laughing at her. And she just kept right on playing. I said, that's what I'm talking about. And we wasn't laughing at you. But even if everybody in here had been laughing at you, you just keep right on playing. You keep right on playing. People say, I wish, I, I wish my kids lived for God. Why didn't you take it serious when you had them? I'm not trying to put anybody on a guilt trip tonight. But you ain't got these kids but one time. You get them one time. And I've been sitting at my desk all week realizing that my time of training and teaching, that one right there, tomorrow about 4.30 is going to be over as her daddy. That weighs on me. 
But I hope I, me and mama did it right. Listen to me, listen to me. It ain't over till it's over. Ain't nobody patting herself on the back tonight. But David said this, I don't have no regrets for raising my kids up in the old paths. That's what he said. I want to go on record tonight. I have no regret for teaching my children to want God's bread and not the devil's. I have no regret for exposing them to the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. I've not, Brother Leader, I know you've got a bunch of youngins yourself. I can say this with my hand on my Bible. God is my witness. I have never one single time taken my children away from church, out of church, to do something like Little League. Never. Amen. Never. It could have been the Olympics. Their coach could have called me and said, I'll give you $10,000 to take your child out of church Wednesday night so our team can play in the Olympics. And I'd tell them, you can go pound sand. My kids are going to church. It wasn't even, it wasn't even an option. It wasn't even close to being an option. And some of you right now, you're saying, well, I think that's a little bit far-fetched. And that is your problem right there. That, one of these days, that attitude is going to come back and it's going to bite you in the hiney. You're going to wish to God you had had a different attitude about how you raise your children. Just chilling and casual and, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Let's have, have some balance, have some balance. And you take them to church once a week and then the rest of the week you immerse them in public school and the world and Hollywood and filth and you wonder why they get all cockeyed. There ain't nothing close to being balanced about that. Not even close. Everybody okay? Have no regret for keeping my children out of public school. No regret whatsoever. I'd rather my kids be illiterate. I'd rather my kids not be able to read and write and add two plus two than to put them in a public school. Tell them, tell them up in that hall they can just come on in here and get a seat. They're going to be standing there a while. Daniel, just tell them to come on in. They're not going to interrupt me. I have no regret for keeping them out of public school. I have no regrets for training them to obey and respect authority. That's a thing of the past, by the way. You see all these videos of these kids spitting on these police officers, pouring water on police officers, cussing out police officers. I'm going to, I can't imagine doing that. I absolutely cannot imagine doing that. But I'm going to tell you why they're cussing out cops. They've been cussing out mom and daddy and getting away with it. You don't go from obeying mom and daddy to cussing out police officers. They've been cussing mom and daddy out and mom and daddy read Spock's book about it's wrong to discipline your kids. And they put them in time out. Well, how's that working out for our society? Time out. Took God out of the schools. Took prayer out of the schools. And we wait till they get in ju juvenile detention center or jail or prison. And then we want to get prayer and Bible back in, in. It's too late now. It's too late now. No regret for teaching them to obey and respect authority. No regret for instructing them to follow God, not the things of the world. No, I have no regret for admonishing my children to keep themselves pure and to strive to get married virgins. No regrets whatsoever. I'm glad my parents drilled that into me. Amen. I'm grateful. I'm grateful that even if I hadn't wanted to, I had parents and she had parents. They didn't give us no choice. Amen. 
Some of y'all couldn't handle the way we dated. I'm going to tell you how bad you couldn't handle the way we dated. We didn't even call it dating. That's how bad you couldn't handle it. We didn't even call it dating. We called it courting. Some of y'all are like, are y'all Amish? Are y'all Amish? No, it's biblical. It's good for a man not to touch a woman is what the Bible says. First time I kissed Miss Grace was when we got married, when the preacher said I could. That's the first time I kissed her. Now, I wanted to for a long time. But I like my teeth in my mouth. And she had heard way too many youth camp preachers say, if that boy you're with ever puts his hands on you, you take your fingernails and you claw his eyeballs out. And you take your shoes off and that high heel and you beat him over the head with it. And I just thought, you know what? I want to kiss her real bad, but it just ain't worth it. <laughs> ain't worth it. I'm trying to wind this down. I have no regrets for disciplining my children, chastening them when they needed it. No regrets. No regrets. I was talking to Marissa today or yesterday, or yesterday and today, talking about child training. They've got a baby. They got a little one-year-old, and he's my grandson. And boy, I got a really big soft spot for that youngin. But I told her today, standing on her back porch, I commend you. I commend you for training that baby. Because trained children are happy children. And trained children make happy parents. And trained children make happy grandparents. Come on. Well, I just love my grandbabies. I love them too, but they're brats, and you know it. They're brats. You have to train them. You have to teach them, all of them. I told, I told that, that, that fallen Adamic nature, that sweet little baby's got it. Foolishness, the Bible says, is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from them. And that's still in the Bible. And if you're sitting here not says, well, I would never spank my kids. That's going to come back to bite you one day. Remember I said that. It's going to come back to bite you. You can't, hey, you can't improve on doing it God's way. <laughs> See, God, God invented the home. This was his idea. The marriage and kids. It was all his idea. And he gave us an owner's manual. Brother Benton, I'm trying to quit preaching. I'm trying. And then I thought, well, if I'd have called on my father-in-law to preach, he'd be still in his introduction. So I've still got plenty of time. I've got that motorcycle out yonder. It came with the owner's manual about that thick. And I was sitting at the red light today, and I thought, I wonder what that button does right there. And I thought, I better not, I better not push it. It could be it has one of them James Bond missile things in there and just... I'm trying to figure out how do you reset your trip gauge? It's got the trip. It's got the mileage. And I, I'm looking, how do you, how do you, how, I'm riding around for three days. How do you reset this trip meter? And I was sitting at the red light today and I had the most awesome, unbelievable idea. <laughs> oh, I got the owner's manual. I bet it's in there. I bet it's in there. 
Do you want to know how many mamas and daddies do that with their kids? I wonder how to get them to behave. I wonder how to get them to, when I say sit down, they sit down. When I tell them to shut up, they shut up. When I get them to do something, tell them to do something, they do it. I wonder how to, owner's manual. Read the owner's manual. Don't read the world's owner's manual. It's got bugs and glitches in it. Come on now. Have no regrets. I'm, this is the last point, but I'm trying to get done. I have no regrets making sure my kids follow my rules as long as they were living in my house. No regrets. Amen. Callie says something to me today. It just made my, made my day, made my week. She hugged my neck. Me and her mom, she gave us both a gift, and she said, I love living here. I love living here. I'm excited about getting married. I'm excited about starting a new life. But I love living here. And we got rules. Rules. Curfew. Curf curfew. Her engaged. Her engaged with a car and a driver's license and has to be home at a certain time. Well, I just think that's crazy. Well, she don't. And she's the one that's got the rules. Come on now. Maybe some of you moms and dads are a little young and will take what I'm saying and not the heart. I have no regrets for being the spiritual leader in my home. I said I have no regrets for shouldering the responsibility as the daddy and as the husband of being the spiritual leader in my home and pointing my children toward God from the day they were born. No regrets at all. I don't believe David, David did either. He said, I was, I was young, now I'm old. And I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. And God's been merciful and God lendeth. You'll look at where lendeth up when you get home. You talk about rich. I ain't even got time to get into that. But Brother Subtle, that word lendeth means God partnered with me. He didn't just lend me like money, like loaning money. He lent me Him. He helped me. He assisted me. He partnered with me. And will bless His seed. What a blessing. What am I saying tonight? I don't know. I'm just saying I got no regrets. I'm not planning on changing horses in the middle of the stream either. I'm hoping and praying that tonight something was said. Young people, listen to me. There's going to be a whole lot of voices out there. A whole lot of people pulling. Don't listen to them. Okay. You want to, you want to, you want to follow the path of the righteous. That's the path you want to get on. And you want to pursue it as hard as you can. And you want to hunger for it and thirst for righteousness. I mean, just thirst and hunger for righteousness and watch God bless you. Watch God fill you and your life will be absolutely amazing. I was walking around in my garage yesterday and you know what I said out loud? Out loud I said this, I love my life. That's deep, ain't it? I'm walking around in my garage. I just said, I love my life. God's been good to me. God's blessed me. And I have, Isaiah, we can say it together, I have no regrets. Amen. Heads bowed, eyes closed, altars open, musicians are going to the instruments.
There might be a mom and dad want to get the kids and get an altar. God might have spoke to somebody's heart tonight. I don't know. There might be somebody here tonight that's never been saved. There might be somebody here tonight that's never been born again. There might be somebody here tonight. If you die tonight, you do not know for sure that you would go to heaven when you die. You hope you would. You think you would. But you do not know for sure that you're going to heaven. And the Bible's clear. God said, these things have I written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. You can be saved tonight. You can walk out the doors of this church and go home knowing for 100% sure, based on the truth of the Word of God, you can know you're saved. You can know you're going to heaven if you were to die tonight. Would there be somebody here tonight say, preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure if I died tonight that I'd go to heaven. And I want you to pray for me. Would you be honest? Would you slip your hand up so that I can see your hand so I can pray for it? Anybody, preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure. Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure. Anybody, anywhere. Would you slip your hand up where I can see it? If you're watching online, there's a phone number on the screen right now. If you'll text that number, say, I want to talk to somebody. Somebody will call you in just a minute. Over the phone with the Bible, do everything they can to try to help you. If you're here tonight, maybe you've been on the fence. Maybe you've been living a one leg in the church and one foot in the church and one foot in the world and you're straddling the fence, maybe tonight you need to just go ahead and commit to living for God. Go ahead and, and get on the path of the righteous and seek the face of God and experience God's presence in, in your life, God's blessings in your life. Be satisfied with His bread. Be satisfied with what He has for you and watch God bless you and bless your family.